Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. Father Paul, good morning. Good morning. How you We're doing, man? Good. For those who watch us on YouTube, which everybody should do, um, subscribe to our St. Anne YouTube page. You just... I, I don't know if you know this, but your Gmail account essentially is linked to your YouTube. So if you go to YouTube, that's your profile through yeah. Gmail. So people that are like, I don't want to set up a profile or this or that. Mm-hmm. If you have a Gmail account, which some do, some don't, we'd love for you to subscribe to the St. Anne Parish page. You get notifications when new masses, mm-hmm. homilies, prodigal and the priest, all of that. And you just click that little bell in the top right corner. Subscribe. It's all so, news to me. There- <laughs> Not a surprise. So, um, but I share that because normally they see us in the same outfits for two episodes, but we went so long on Tuesday with our episode about Cardinal Bechter uh, that, uh, I've already forgotten. Yes. That, uh, nightmare. (laughs) Just remember the little people that helped you get to the, (laughs) don't forget your roots. (laughs) That's right. Um, so today we're answering some good questions. Somebody actually has a follow-up from already the Cardinal episode. So let's start there with some wow. questions. Sound good? Yeah. Um, says, Joey, I know you're over on time on today's show, but Father Paul said he would do his own translation of a Bible if Cardinal for the United States. Did did you say that? I did. I okay. slipped that in there at some point. Nice. I was like, look, man, I'm not happy with any of them. I'll just do <laughs> there, my own. <laughs> there you go. And so she says, Father Paul. Do you have some translations already written down? Second, how long would that take to translate? Third, (laughs) what would you translate from Latin? Fourth, are there older writings in Arabic? And then um, the approval and review process. Would that happen, right? Like, is that kind of, you know, so they want that. And then um, what else did she say? I'm a convert to the faith. I knew nothing except the King James Version of the Bible until... Mm. Um, becoming Catholic in 1992, I was extremely surprised when I saw the number of versions um, of Bibles. Then I realized that is probably an American thing, right? And this comes from Deborah. So Deborah, thanks for writing in a question. Um, yeah, a and nice little said, seven-parter. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess I, the main thing is like, do you have something actually written down? Would you do that? Like. No, I mean, I did a lot of trans, I I do spot translations all the time uh, when I'm preparing for liturgies, uh, liturgies for homilies um, and stuff like that. That's one of the first things I'll do um, in an ideal world. It doesn't happen every week, but Mm -hmm. I will make my own translation of the text. um, Start with the gospel normally, go back to the first reading, do that one after um, and kind of work through. Uh, from the so nothing like just, written down. You're in a corner with a candle at night with a. Uh, no, I don't have like a, <laughs> a feather, <pen>. like a <laughs> bunch of <laughs> scrolls and stuff um, of this like polished masterpiece. It's more just on loose paper yeah. or on my computer or something. I'll translate it. Um, we did work our way through some books, uh, like translating all of the Gospel of Luke, all of Acts of the Apostles, all of certain lives of Paul. All of Judges, that was one of the first things I translated when I was at the Biblicum. Mm. Uh, we worked through all of Judges. In and you took them from Hebrew. Aramaic? From Hebrew. From Hebrew and translated them into just modern day. 
Modern English. Modern English. Yeah. Modern. Modern yeah. day English. Yes. Yeah. Modern day English. But um, I, I just didn't know, like, but we already have that, but it's just not done the best, right? Well, yeah. Or it's I mean, just practice. I mean, people get, well, we did this uh, to learn Hebrew and also because like just a translation doesn't tell you a ton about what's going on in the background. Like you want a translation to make sense in the language you're translating it into. Right. But there's all sorts of idioms, for instance, in other languages that don't make any sense in English. Yeah. Same with English. Like it's raining cats and dogs doesn't make sense in any other language. Um, but English. So you could translate it l- literally. We used to joke about that in Italian when right. I was at the NAC. Like piove gatti i cani. Um, it's raining cats and dogs. Or one of our teachers who was British said like questo prende la torta. That takes the cake. Mm-hmm. And all the Americans cracked up because we were in like first semester Italian, but we could understand it. Mm-hmm. And we we're like, hey, something we actually relate to. And the Italians were like, where's the cake? We don't understand yeah, yeah, what the phrase means. <laughs> so, like, are we having cake for class? <laughs> right. Um, they're looking around. So, I mean, that same thing happens like all the time with translating from ancient literature, except there's less certainty about some things because you're further removed. Right. Um, so, like, if you can read the original languages and do a translation, like, it's there's so much there. Um, that you don't see in a translation, but that doesn't mean that like our translations are bad or right. they're missing all the stuff. It's just right. I don't know. There's depth and color reading the original language and comparing it with the translation. I feel like your version should be called the BVV, Vector Vector version. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's set. <laughs> Names are the hardest part. So, and that's where I come in clutch. That yeah. is kind no, of a skill set kind of, of mine. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, as far as how long it would take, it would take forever. Even if I wasn't uh, doing anything, if that was my only job, I'm sure it would still take years. Um, oh, I'm sure. Like I was joking about doing my own, like it would it would take a lifetime of being a priest and translating at the same time. Which, I mean, um, ultimately it would, it would be like a delegation to do just that. Like it would have to be, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, like a bishop or somebody saying, like, like, "This is the hey, project we Saint want you to Jerome, work on." Yeah, we want you to <laughs> translate the Bible, and the Pope told him to do that, and so right. he did. Yeah. Um, uh, Deborah asked a question. Um, that's a good name from Judges, by the way, Deborah. Nice. Um, but Deborah asked a question about like, are there older Arabic? Yeah, are there and older writings in Arabic? So, um, so like. Um, Yes. So one of the interesting thing about interesting things about doing biblical translation stuff like that is you want to work with the original language. So none of the scriptures were originally written in Arabic, but then you also want to work with what are called the early versions. So the early translations. So most of the Old Testament was written originally in Hebrew. Some was written originally in Aramaic. Some was written originally in Greek. All of it was translated into Greek. And it's called the Septuagint. Um, and it was a very important early translation of the scriptures into a language uh, that more people could read. That's a really important thing for us to look at when we're doing biblical study or biblical translations. I did a lot of work comparing the Hebrew and the Greek um, for uh, First Kings when I was writing my thesis. Right. Um, that's what it was focused on. 
But besides Greek, there's also multiple Latin translations from the early church. There's Jerome's Vulgate, but there's also the old Latin that was around before it, less systematic. There's also early Arabic translations. They're not as early as the Greek and the Latin and the Syriac and stuff like that, but there are Latin uh, Arabic versions which are can be important to consult in certain certain uh, circumstances. Arabic wasn't one of the the required languages for us to learn because those those early versions of Arabic are important for like more specific questions than just uh, general biblical study. Right. Because um, they're they're a bit late. They're like seventh century or something. Right. Uh, AD. Um, but it's still interesting. I did get to learn a little bit of Arabic um, while I was there, but not enough to, to use it on something like this. Yeah. Um, so. Cool. Great. Yeah, Thanks, I think Deborah. that answers some of the questions anyway. Yeah. If you got any follow-ups, we'd love to hear from people. So the process th- would probably take forever as well to to get it confirmed and yeah and approved and <laughs> to ultimately probably once you were like dead not to be morbid, but you, you know <laughs> what I mean. Morbid. Yeah. So um, okay. Well, a, f- a good follow-up of that is a, uh, another person, Mary, writes. Um, what are some of the most commonly misused verses in scripture from your guy's opinion? Namely, why is Jeremiah 29, 11 always out of context? Um, you know, you know, 29, 11, right? For I know well the plans I have for you, says the uh, Lord. Plans for prosper and hope and not of woe. Or <laughs> that's, a, that's a loose just translation there. Um, I don't know. I don't know how people use biblical verses. <laughs> I don't know if I uh, think they use it for what their meaning is. Like, so for example, one verse I've always heard out of context, um, I feel a little out of context is like the Revelation 3:20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock mm-hmm. and wait. You know, and you always see this picture of like Jesus on one side of a door. Have, have you seen these pictures? Oh, and there's like the knob on one no side of the stuff. person. And but I really, I thought that was more from his parable in the Gospels. No, that comes from like Revelation three twenty. And so, but it's like a mashup, yeah. But ultimately, after verse twenty, it talks about coming in and eating and dining and an invitation into the liturgy and the Eucharist. And I think people just use it as a feel good, like Jesus is always there at the door. You know, that's what I think of when it's like misused instead of ultimately pointing to, you know, or, you know, I I think people that take things literally, like Peter, you are the rock. Like I'm like, like. I've had people be like, like, did Jesus point to a rock? And, you know, I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, okay. I mean, he was at Caesarea Philippi and there's a big cliff face. So, so maybe, maybe he did. But yeah. anything on Jeremiah 29, 11? I mean, I'm just glancing at it now. Um, it's talking about the return from Babylon, so from the exile. Um, right. Something I've been talking a lot about lately and homilies mm-hmm. and stuff. Um. <clears throat> Here's the immediate context. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly how people use that, but if they're using it as like 
um, people use it especially. I put my trust in the Lord. Yeah. Like that seems generally pretty in line with what's going on there. I think you people use it as like one of those like feel good Bible verses. Like you're down in the dumps and they're like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know well the plans I oh, have okay. for you, well, says the Lord. Okay. Like, Do they always say it like that? So. Like, hey, let me talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, literally. Um, yeah. So I don't know. That's that's more I would say more a misunderstanding of what God's providence is and what his plans for us. Like, mm. like God doesn't will that, you know, God forbid something terrible happen. Right. Like I get into a car crash. That's not God's will actively. Right. Um, in the mystery of his plan, if that happens, then, well, de facto he permits it. And we can say that all things will work towards the good, but it doesn't mean directly. It doesn't mean like, that car crash will make me stronger, definitely. Um, it means that God can bring about good from every evil situation. Right. And so, like, if you're saying, I know the plans I have for you, in the sense, like, you are walking step by step what I have foreordained that you would, you know, get into this terrible relationship and then it would destroy your life, really. And then you would get out and then you know, all these other things would happen. Like, I don't know. God doesn't create evil and he doesn't will evil, right. but it doesn't thwart him evil e- I, either. I think what Mary means here is that it's one of those phrases that we love to toss out. It's it's almost more of a cliche phrase than actually pointing and directing somebody to the Lord of being like, well, when, you know, when God closes a door, he opens a window or he's never going to give you... To, you know, more than you can handle, you know, or yeah. y- things like that, that I think people, sure. it goes back to that whole episode. They just want to say something that's comforting right, and not right. really knowing, but okay. great question. Well, that's, that's fine. I've one yeah, more thing to add on it. that. Um, I don't have as much of a problem with people using uh, biblical verses like this in kind of a devotional or spiritual context. Um, the problem of taking verses out of context really comes when people start use the, using them to make doctrinal points, right? To say, like, I don't know, arguing against some, some like, dogma of the Catholic Church and then throwing a biblical verse at it mm-hmm. that is taken out of context, something cl- as classic as, like, faith and works, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you got to understand James. W- what the works yeah. of the law, well, also Paul, but... Yeah. Um, like Romans and Galatians and stuff, you got to understand what St. Paul means by works of the law. He's talking about the ritual law of the old covenant um, and how it doesn't have power in itself to justify, even though God did use it that way until the fulfillment of time. And anyway, yeah. so stuff like that, I think is much more important to be like context. It's also important to ground our spiritual reading of the scriptures in the context. Context is always key, but but it's not the not the end of the world either to yeah. like to like make a make a mashup of Jesus talking about standing outside a door and knocking um and even that painting and stuff like that like that's that's kind of a patristic I, I like the word mashup but but like to take different themes like that and synthesize mm-hmm. them together into this this sort of working image right that you have that's kind of a patristic move and uh when it comes to drawing us, it's basically as long as it's drawing you closer to the Lord, then it's 
probably a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, let's go here. Um, Jenna. Jenna asks, not sure if you have already talked about this, but could you please tell me a little bit about plenary indulgences and how to get one for you or your loved one? <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. So, conditions for a plenary indulgence. There are certain, certain, uh, well, let's just talk about what indulgences are first. Right. Um, the merits of Christ are infinite on the cross. Uh, the merits in terms of like the goodness of the action he's done. Um, and uh, it's communicability uh, to us. Like you can talk about a treasury of merits um, that Christ has won for us um, that he dispenses through the church. It's a little mechanical to talk about like that, um, but it's actually pretty solid biblical image when you start looking at certain passages in Proverbs and in Tobit, Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, but also the New Testament, um, to store up your treasure in heaven where the moths cannot eat and all that stuff. Um, right. Like that's, that's the same kind of, uh, financial metaphor, um, that undergird something that is not actually financial like merits. So it's not a bad way to talk about it, but I know it can raise, raise some red flags for people all the way back to the Protestant Reformation to talk about things like that. It is biblical. Um, great book on that uh, called Charity, The Place of the Poor in the Biblical Tradition by Gary Anderson. It's a book that I read several years ago when I was on retreat, and it really, really just changed the way I see things like almsgiving, but also this question of merits and purgatory and Mm. uh, indulgences and all these things. He was like, this is all extremely biblical. uh, And he shows it really well. Um, It's very accessible book too. So, and what you're referring to just so our listeners know is like the aspect of kind of the times where some people were selling indulgences. Yes. Correct. I just want to give context for those who might be a little bit confused. Like there was a time where, it was like, okay, you pay this amount and you can get an indulgence, get out of jail free card, right? That yeah. wasn't, you know, appropriate yeah, or real. So it's kind of trashy. The church did tell that guy to stop doing that as well. <laughs> it was, and it wasn't just that guy, it was a thing. But anyway, yeah, that's a whole nother question. So, right. So, indulgences, when we talk about indulgences, we're basically talking about like the church dispensing the merits of Christ. And that's the church's role. Um, now, uh, so we also have to understand a little bit the concept of forgiveness of sins versus remittal of uh, temporal punishment. Um, the best image that I've heard, it's kind of a classic one for this, is like you're playing baseball as a kid and you uh, are in the backyard and you hit a home run because you're awesome and it goes straight through the neighbor's window and shatters it. Um, you go over and say, I'm really sorry. And they're like, I forgive you. That's real. That's forgiveness. Right. But the window's still broken. There's still, you have to, there's some repair that needs to be made to that window. Sin does the same thing to us. 
um, when we sin and we receive God's forgiveness, we are truly forgiven and restored to grace, even yeah. more so, than, way more so than when the neighbor forgives us for breaking the window. But there is still some hurt in us, some effect of that sin um, that needs to be healed. Right. And uh, one way to refer to that hurt is to call it a temporal punishment. That's just a classic way to, to look at it. But it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's an injury that, you know, it's a scar that I had remains. A, yeah, I had a priest one time use the analogy and say, you know, imagine like a terribly infected wound, cut, whatever, like it's totally healed, forgiven through confession, but there's still maybe a scar there remaining from right. like the wound that was created. It's totally healed everything like better than what it was before, but, you know, you have that scar that remains, you know, so, but yeah. Yeah. So that's that's an important distinction because when we talk about indulgences, we're talking about uh, like the merits of Christ appeal uh, uh, applied to the healing of those those scars. Um, now it also gets into a little bit of purgatory talk. I'm sorry, it's just a big issue. But yeah. like um, when there are some passages, especially in in John's letters. Um, but also in Paul, I think in 1 Corinthians. But anyway, there's plenty of passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament that talk about the holiness of God and what that means and what it means for someone who is mortal to stand in the sight of God in the holiness. Um, and to go, we could go into this in a whole episode if we wanted to, but to, to move along fairly quickly with it, like the understanding of the necessity of purgatory is that when we have these scars remaining from our forgiven sins, like those are things that are not just like scars on the outside. They're sort of scars on our will that still kind of point us away from God towards that sin. We have an attachment to something. You can think of the scar as an attachment to that sin that you've been forgiven of. Um, but the will isn't perfectly healed. Um, and so like, what sense does it make to be in the perfect holiness and beatitude of uh, the unmitigated vision of God if we have this divided heart still? Right. And so the whole point of purgatory in sort of like a, a theoretical um, tradition is that like this is the state of being purified of those mm -hmm. residual desires for sinful things um okay now finally onto an indulgences now that we right. have those three things as kind of the background indulgences are a way of participating in uh that healing and purgative process um even now and so on a really basic level indulgence is just a fancy name for the effects that doing things in charity have on us right. um but the church likes to point out specific charitable actions um, that she knows are like best practices. So right. there are, uh, they're called um, partial indulgences. Mm -hmm. um, even for things like reading the scriptures for 30 minutes. There's a whole, there's a whole book called the Raculta, which is a Latin word. I don't know what it means exactly, but um, <laughs> yeah, I need to look that up. Um, 
that's like a, a book of these best practices that the church will say there are indulgences attached to these things. These things are worth doing because they have this restorative effect on us. Um, sometimes the church will say like plenary indulgences. These are the really like things that are really worth doing. And she'll say that to gain a plenary indulgence, um, you have to fulfill certain conditions. It has to be something of that type. Um, so like, uh, visiting a graveyard on all souls day and praying for the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one And the church actually, because of the pandemic extended that all throughout the whole month of November and not just to, uh, November 2nd, which is all souls day. Um, uh, other things as well. Um, <laughs> really, well, there is one really I was going to tell you, there is a plenary indulgence. I was trying to look it up. I remember during the quarantine, health workers, family members, and those following the example of Good Samaritan, exposing themselves to the risk of the contagion, um, assist coronavirus patients, um, um, could at the time like obtain the same gift of plenary indulgence on some condition. There, there was something through. Wow. Yeah, there was there was a for, whole thing. For, uh, for health workers. Yeah. There what I remember it being in one patients. of the but yes there's and and cool. just other examples yeah. like you said Charitable praying work. for those I remember Franciscan we have uh, we call it the port after um, Saint Francis the place that he saw the cross the San mm-hmm. Damiano cross yeah, say, yeah. like Francis rebuild my church the Portiuncula Portiuncula we, and there you go we have <laughs> uh, um, a replica of that on campus and yeah. at one point um, there was given a plenary indulgence if you visited the chapel if you kind of made that pilgrimage there, right? So different sites, different things. So is there a place people can, I was trying to find an exact site that people could look up like different yeah. ones or it's I mean, really just a, a general Google search, right? It, it, Yeah, that's the best way to go about it. Google search and look for something that's, you know, actually Catholic. Right. Not but too, essentially step one. People, but but so, so step one is doing is something. Do, do yeah. that thing. Do that charitable work. Um, step two, really important and often <laughs> not uh, made enough of step two is remain free from even attachment to venial sin yeah spirit for, for of the attachment from sin yeah that's yep. really hard to do and i think people underestimate how hard it is to do because i think people underestimate in general um venial sins they'll be like well it's not mortal so it's you know not that bad um <laughs> and it's like no it's still sinful right. like it doesn't destroy my relationship with god or but you it know, weakens like, it. rupture but yeah. it does weaken it and like attachment to those things like is even is even less than like actually committing the venial sin right so like we're one step removed from that and we're saying you know to participate in this, in the merits of Christ in this way, to gain this indulgence. I don't want to make it sound too hard, but right. but also like, you know, it's it's not something that you just like wander into. <laughs> um, Which I'm glad you mentioned that because people often like do kind of the checkbox approach, be like, okay, go to confession, receive the Eucharist, go visit this place, I'm good. And it's like, Remember the detachment from sin part right yeah. there? Pray like for which, the Pope, that was another right. one. Right, so. yeah, yeah, pray for the Pope. We'll yeah. get the the list yeah. out, but... Um, to summarize yeah. at the end. But the detachment from sin, like that's... And that that also leaves, like, it works against the checkbox mentality because how can I really know whether I was completely detached? Right, but so like me being a skeptic, this, 
like isn't that a little tough though being like what do 50% of people who think they're doing a plenary indulgence like actually get it you know what well, i mean this though is, this is where like the mechanical approach uh isn't helpful right because like the whole point of this is to <laughs> is to dedicate yourself to holiness um by on the one hand detachment from even the slightest uh venial sin and on the other hand dedicating yourself to charitable works like like you can call it an indulgence and the church is right to do that in her tradition right but you can also just call it like the path to holiness <laughs> and we don't there, there's no finishing of of that path to holiness in this life um like you can always go closer to god and be purified of these attachments to uh small sins like the saints the closer they get to god the deeper they get into sanctity the more they start to look at their own sinfulness with actual clarity and not with rationalization and be like even these things i thought were so little like if anything's against god it's it's terrible because i'm going against supreme good who is all loving and, and how could i ever do that and so they start to saints start to regard themselves as like the greatest of sinners and you're like what are you talking about saint therese like you're amazing. You've never committed a mortal sin in your life. And right. she'll be like, yeah, but I'm the greatest of all sinners. You just can't see it. I can't. <laughs> um, so like, so like that's that same dynamic that getting involved in, in like seeking indulgences um, can bring you into as long as it's not done uh, overly checkbox or overly mechanically. Right. So just, uh, I guess, three quick things on there. First, I want to actually give all the conditions. You can find them by Googling. But right. So you do the thing. You have detachment from sin. You receive the Eucharist within, I would say, about a week. Um, yeah, a lot of them say as soon as possible. Yeah, as but, soon as possible. Yeah. But not to get overly scrupulous about yeah. that. Uh, go to confession in about the same thing. Sort yeah, of as like, soon as possible. You know, yeah. As soon as possible. Um, it could be before, even. And also uh, pray for the Pope's intentions. Those are yep. those are the conditions, and so like if you look at all those things again, just to reiterate this point, like those are all really good things to do that we should kind of be doing anyway, and to frame it as as participating in this treasury of the church, right? Which Christ, her bridegroom, has given her from the merits that He has won for us on the cross. Like that's one way to look at it. That's probably a helpful and incentivizing way to look at it. But these are things that we should be doing anyway. And um, one little nuance I want to toss in there. Well, two things. One is I looked up, yeah, there was a decree by Pope Francis, decree of apostolic uh, plenary indulgences during to the faithful during the current pandemic situation. So Google that. Yeah. But second is Jenna also made a little point that I just want to make sure people heard that said... Um, for me or a loved one. So is that true? You can yeah. pass it on. So that, right? was, that was the other point I was going to get. So in a, yeah, um, you can. And so like I can, I can say, all right, I am going to do this good thing and I want to offer this uh, for my loved one who yeah. has either passed away and is probably in purgatory mm -hmm. um, or who is living. And that's that's also a very biblical <laughs> and legitimate thing to do, and like that same book that I referred you to explains this really well. Gary Anderson's uh, Charity, um, 
He also wrote a book called Sin, A History. And I've talked about it before on the podcast. I was going to say, we've heard Gary Anderson before. Yeah, yeah you talked yeah. about the The charity book. book was uh, an outgrowth of his project on um, understanding different metaphors in the Old Testament for sin, whether it's a burden or a stain or what. Anyway, um, so yes, this is something that you can offer for somebody else um, and is a really beautiful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's akin to praying for somebody else, but it's kind of adding weight to the prayer. Yeah. It's like, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, um, certain ones cannot be cast out except by prayer and fasting, right? He's like, you know, give give some action behind yeah. your prayer. Um, and this is a similar kind of thing there. Right. Um, the final thing is that, and I think most people don't know this, but like there is a prayer called the apostolic pardon, which only priests can say and is given um, in the course of the last rites. So anointing of the sick, by the way, is something that you can receive as soon as you begin to be in danger um, from illness or from old age. Um, It's not something that you wait until the last moments. Some people misunderstand that. But when I do go visit people who are in the last moments or who are close or getting close, um, I pray the apostolic pardon over them, which um, I should have memorized, honestly. But I'll pull up right here and read for you because it is tremendous to hear what this prayer um, has to offer. Uh, And it's, it's all about this indulgences question. So... Apostolic pardon. Well, actually, I've got my little cheat here. <laughs> little, little cheat sheet. Yeah. Got my little cheat sheet. And through the holy mysteries of our redemption, may Almighty God release you from all punishments in this life and in the life to come. May he open to you the gates of paradise and welcome you to everlasting joy. Like that is, that's a serious prayer, right? Yeah. That, And when it talks about all punishments in this life and the life to come, it's drawing on that same kind of language as we talked about with temporal punishments, right? That's why we're given a penance after going to confession Yep, is not that we can earn our forgiveness, but that we need to work in justice towards our healing. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to, if, if we're the kid in the backyard baseball field, like, you know, we probably can't afford to fix that whole window, but it's important that we do some part of it. Yeah. Um, that we mow that neighbor's lawn or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's what the that's what the penitents are that you receive at confession. Um, and uh, that's the kind of thing that it's talking about here. Right. Uh, in the apostolic pardon. So just by the way, that's not a just just like the. Um, just like any of the sacramental formulas, these aren't things to just be recited at home. Like right. that's a really serious thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, this is one of those prayers. Uh, but this is something like that you should know about. And I mean, also just just can I say like, especially during this time, if you know somebody who is who is sick in a dangerous way, even if it just means being like at the early stages of diagnosis with like some terminal illness, 
um, or if their age has put them in danger, like ask us to anoint them. It's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, the we could go into a whole episode again on the sacrament of anointing of the sick, and but the primary effect of it is to join our sufferings with the salvific and meaningful sufferings of Christ, mm-hmm. and so to make our sufferings meaningful and to strengthen us against despair, especially final despair. Um, it's a very important sacrament, and it's one that is neglected and that we we are in kind of a passive position about. Like we're responders to people who ask, but sometimes people wait way too long to ask. Yeah. Um, so that's just my appeal. Cool. Really quick, last question. Oh, Ready? Yeah. We're over, but we'll go for a fun one. Chris asks, what is Father Paul's mustache most <laughs> who does it most resemble? Tom Selleck, Burt Reynolds, Freddie Mercury, Ron Bur- Burgundy, or uh, Ned Flanders. So um, <laughs> do you have any personal opinions on that? No, I'd probably go with the first. Tom, Tom Selleck? Tom Selleck, yeah. Interesting. I'm not going to lie. We were not allowed to watch The Simpsons in my house. So mm. I had to look up when I saw Ned Flanders. I was like, I have no I idea who, who that is. is. So were you allowed to watch The Simpsons? Yeah, I was basically raised on The Simpsons. Really? <laughs> no, I'd, I would watch it every day coming home from school. Oh my gosh, um, I don't picture that at all. Yeah, I'd watch The Simpsons and Seinfeld back to back. And they yes. have had a, a very formative impact on my life. <laughs> not... Not always sure for the good. Yeah, you're talking about that scar. It's like, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that, or the, actually there is this character, I don't even know his name, from the Lorax. Have you seen it? What's the Lorax? Uh, the Dr. Dr. Seuss. Seuss. Yeah, there's this one with this, this just giant just mustache. walrus mustache. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I was like, this is fun. Why wasn't Paul. Andy Reid on there? Ah, you don't look I like, don't look Andy, like Reed. Andy Reid. You <laughs> don't look like Andy Reid. But we want to thank all our listeners for... Uh, Definitely submitting questions. You can do that one of two ways. Um, You can uh, go to our website, stanneanparish.org slash ptp or prodigalandthepriest at gmail.com. We'll make sure to uh, try to answer those, do our best. We just appreciate all of you during this Advent season and praying for all of you. And uh, yeah, it was great answering those questions and being able to... Just share a little bit of what we have. So on behalf of Joey Scancella, Father Paul Becker, I want to say take care. God bless.